Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. Sitting across the interrogation room from me today is international bestselling author Mark Greeny. He's released seven novels in the Incredible Gray Man series featuring Court Gentry. Mark is also the number one New York Times bestselling author or co-author of seven Tom Clancy novels, including his most recent release in that series, Tom Clancy, True Faith and Allegiance. And he collaborated on three Jack Ryan novels before Tom's death in 2013. Mark's books are translated into numerous languages, and he sold millions of copies to fans all over the world. Mark, welcome to Writers on the Beat. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Gavin. I appreciate it. Yeah, I actually tried to catch up with the Poison Pen in Scottsdale last month, but I couldn't make my personal life jive with the business life. We were busy trying to uh, buy a house, and uh, apparently that and my continued desire to stay married took some precedent there. <laughs> well, I, would, I wouldn't want to be the one that, that upset that apple cart, so yeah. make, make fun. Well, I'm, I'm sure it was a great event anyway, even in my absence. The pictures looked pretty fantastic. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, always was. Now, your recent release, Mission Critical, is just out and doing really well. This week, it's number 11 on Amazon's bestseller chart, and if we ignore the Harry Potter universe, it's number four. <laughs> uh, readers love what you've done with that series. Uh, what do you want them to know about Mission Critical, this new release? Well, it's the eighth book in, in a series, and it's um, called the Gray Man series. It's about a former CIA uh, Special Activities Division officer who, uh, early in the series, becomes a private hitman because he, he has to go off the grid. He's running from the CIA. They're, they're after him for reasons he doesn't understand. That gets rectified a little bit um, about halfway through where we are in the series, and he now has kind of a sometimes unhealthy alliance or you know, uncomfortable detente or whatever you want to call it with, with the agency. And so here we are in book eight and it's a story about uh, court um, trying to uh, sort of uncover a, a CIA leak um, by re recapturing a prisoner uh, in Europe. And at the same time, his love interest, a uh, uh, Russian former intelligence officer named Zoya Zakharova, um, who's been flipped by the CIA and is being groomed to become an asset for the agency. She finds out something about the mystery behind her father's death uh, 14 years earlier, and that sends her off on a quest. And these two plot lines sort of intersect in a, in a, in a big thriller with a lot of sort of international ramifications. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading through it right now, and I was really happy to see as, a, as one of your fans and a reader that, uh, that Zoya made this, this quick appearance to come back from the, the last novel. And yeah. I also have had some real suspicions that, uh, that Brewer you know, really didn't like court all that much. And that, you know, she kind of wished him some ill will that you've kind of laid out there. Finally, I'm, I'm really happy to see that. Now the, the gray man turns 10 this year, at least in terms of publication dates, how old is your actual relationship with court gentry? That's a good question. Uh, so in 2006, I wrote my first book that had, um, I was un an unpublished author. I'd written a couple of other books and given them to an agent and he liked my writing, but uh, didn't think the books were very marketable. And so I wrote this story about this guy that people call the gray man, but the name of the novel was Goon Squad. And he read it and he, and he liked the, the lead character a lot and w wanted another book with that, but he didn't think the book was ready. So I wrote a whole nother book. So really uh, I started writing court in 2006 and uh, then I wrote gray man in 2007 and it was, 
picked up in 2008 and came out in 2009. Now, so the, in terms of, um, of, of, of success, I, I've often heard it that it takes a, a decade of hard work to become an overnight success. And the book business, in, in my opinion, in my experience, is no exception to that. Can you talk about what your progress was from the first inspiration when you started writing Goon Squad until you actually uh, became published and then became a bestseller? Well, I, I would I would sign up for the 10 years <laughs> to be an overnight success in a heartbeat because I started my first novel when I was 20 and I didn't get published till I was 42. And that is 95% my fault. So that shouldn't dissuade <laughs> anyone that wants to be a writer. Um, it was sort of not believing in myself and being lazy and just being, you know, just being... I don't know, like fascinated with other shiny objects and not sure. working on this book. And, and um, so I wrote it. I wrote a book that took me 15 years to write, immediately put it to the side, wrote, wrote my second book in seven months. And wow. uh, I, I make the joke that like everything in the world is cheapened by my ability to do it. And so <laughs> once I once I wrote the first book, I was like, oh, well, hey, if I can do it, then I can do it. You know, and it, yeah. I probably I probably put seven months of work into the 15 years it took me to write my first novel. So, you know, that was a learning experience and, and I'm sure I worked out a lot of kinks or whatever. And my writing was, was good. I just didn't really understand how to, how to structure a book very well. So, um, you know, I wrote Goon Squad in first person and um, none of the gray man books have been in first person so far. Mm -hmm. uh, none of the published ones, um, sure. but, but Goon Squad, uh, my agent, when he read it, he said, I really like, you know, the, the main character and there's a one subplot in here about these guys from different missions, you know, like from different assassinations he'd done in the past that are trying to get him, you know, that are sort of coming after him while he's doing the main part of the story. But he didn't, my agent or the guy that I wanted to be my agent didn't really like the main part of the story. He didn't think it was exciting enough. So he's like, if you rewrote a whole nother book where it's, he has to you know, face off against his gauntlet of killers um, then I, then I bet that would be great. And I was like, okay, so what does he do? And, and he's like, well, I don't know. You're the writer. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. so I literally got about five minutes of advice and then just locked myself or I went to Starbucks at five o'clock every morning for the next six or seven months and, and banged out goon squad. I mean, a gray man. Now your bio talks about your background in international relations and political science. Uh, how much does your personal pre-writer life play into your books today? Very little. I, I say I say that I did nothing with my uh, political science international relations degree until I was published, and now it, it now it looks really great in my bio. Um, but it, it was just an interesting. Uh, that's where my my head has always resided, and that definitely helps my my writing. My father was the uh, ran the news department at the local NBC affiliate here in Memphis, where I live, and so I grew up around the news, and I, I grew up with you know very sort of curious father and we like to talk about these things and um and that and that spurred me on a lot um and that's why i got a degree in in poli sci and international relations but i mostly worked in one facet of international sales or another um for those 20 years i'm literally selling gifts and home decor in latin america or medical devices um you know different things like that. So I was, I was kind of in international marketing. I did travel a good bit. Um, I did pick up a couple languages, but I was always a, reading spy novels or mm -hmm. military spy espionage novels. So I imagine a lot of the work that I did that had me, you know, walking around Buenos Aires, you know, at night 
you know, and didn't <laughs> turn me into <laughs> the kind of writer I am, but not directly, I guess. Sure. So when uh, talking about your reading novels, we uh, talked in the, the the green room a little bit beforehand. My my very first thriller I ever read was was Tom Clancy's Hunt for Red October, and mm -hmm. that opened up a, a whole whole new world to me. Do you, yeah. do you remember the first thriller you ever read? Yeah, absolutely. It was Patriot Games, also Tom Clancy, okay. in 1987. Uh, bought it at the grocery store where I still <laughs> get my groceries, or or I get my groceries again. I moved back into this neighborhood a few years ago, but. Uh, so it's it's funny. I don't walk in that grocery store about without thinking of like you know the the serendipity of like picking up this book. And I never read novels. I, I read a ton of nonfiction, and I was kind of just a stuck up you know teenager. And I was like you know who's got time for fantasy? You know like things that didn't yeah. really happen. There's so much interesting in the world that did happen, but everybody had been talking about this Tom Clancy guy for the past couple of years because Patriot Games came out a couple of years after. Uh, after um, Red Storm, obviously. Yes. And and so I, I picked up the book just to look at it. And obviously it's this big monster book. And then reading the back, I was like, oh, it's about the Irish Republican Army, which I was doing a lot of reading and research on at the time, not to be a writer, just because I was fascinated by international terrorism and such. And so I was like, all right, I'll take a chance on this book. What the heck, you know? And and I was so wrapped up into it. And I felt like I was learning things and, and mm -hmm. with incredible enjoyment at the same time and I didn't know that was a thing <laughs> I thought I thought you read books in school because you had to and then or you know you found some little niche that, that interested you but I didn't know you'd get it from novels and after that um, I read all Clancy and then I found Frederick Forsyth and Jean Le Carre and Nelson DeMille and and you know dozens of others and and uh, and I was always looking for learning something while you know having an exciting time yeah, and that's one of the things that I, I really take away from your work, whether it's in your Gray Man series or in the, uh, the those that you've written or co-authored with Tom Clancy, is that it, it really is difficult to tell what's fact, what's fiction, and you know how 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 much of this is is actually happening right now. And I would expect then, with your background as explained, that you have to do a pile of research. What does that process look like for you now? It's different for different books. I do uh, I do different types of research. I do a bunch of reading, obviously. Um, now I talk to people. The first few books, I really didn't have any sort of network of people to, to call on. Mm -hmm. um, but I did a lot of firearms training, and you would think that would be all about learning about guns. But very quickly, I realized that I'm you know in, in the bunkhouse with a guy that flies Predator drones or a, <laughs> a, a SWAT guy or Special Forces or... And, and so I developed this more or less on my own. And when I first started working with, with Tom, um, obviously it, it was easier to knock on doors. Yes. <laughs> I had a lot of social anxiety at the time. I, it, I, I've gotten over it in the past few years just by necessity. But at the time it was very, very hard for me to ask anybody anything or to you know, ask for favors or information. And um, I was terrified by it, but I'd agreed to work with Tom Clancy and I knew what that meant. And so yes. I, Tell myself, you have to pretend to be this guy that you're not, and fake your way through. <laughs> and yeah. and, um, and it, it more or less worked. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to say that I I would imagine that the research process and your access to these kind of experts and the secret parts of our gunfighter societies has changed quite a bit over the last decade. Oh, it's exponentially so. Obviously, I am. Um, yeah, I was with before I was working with Tom Clancy, I didn't get on a destroyer in the fifth fleet, which I did <laughs> with Clancy, or go out to Nellis Air Force Base or 
um, spend a bunch of time at the Pentagon or the ODNI, which is the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. So it wasn't necessarily the, the Clancy calling card, but it was mostly the Clancy calling card, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest. Yeah. Now, with all of that experience with, uh, with Tom, um, what was it like to get that phone call that, that started that relationship? Uh, I always hate telling this story because I wish the story were different. I, um, well, it's your story, own, man. You can tell it however yeah. you want. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't change it now. I've told it too many times. No, I, I got a, a call from my agent one day and I had put out two gray man books, both mass market paperbacks. The third one was turned in, but I hadn't heard back from my editor on what was going, you know, if you liked it or anything. And I was very stressed out about it. This was January of 2011. And I um, got a call from my agent and he's like, Mark, are you sitting down? And I was like, well, yeah, I got my feet propped up. So I guess I'm ready for everything. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, how would you like to write a book with Tom Clancy? And, and <laughs> on street, my first thought was like, oh my God, how do I get out of this? It, it, like I was overly intimidated. I was intimidated to the point where I almost hung up the phone and like changed my phone. Yep. And, but I, it, very quickly I was like, my agent will never speak to me again. He'll certainly never represent me again if I, if I say no. So of course I'm like, I started asking him questions. I was like, no, Tom just, I'm reading Tom's new book that he wrote with Grant Blackwood. It's like, uh, what's going on with that or whatever. And my agent's like, you know, I didn't ask about another writer. <laughs> it's like, they were asking about you. And I was like, oh, okay, good. But I was in the process of reading Better Alive, which was the yes. book that had recently come out and I, and I was enjoying it. So uh, I had all these questions for him. He's like, hey, you're missing the point. And, um, so I spent, you know, I was very excited, but very, very nervous. And you know, I have every Tom Clancy novel, most of them given to me by my dad over the years. And I've got like notes of what I thought about them at the time, you know, when I was in 1989, you know, and uh, the, the first book I had Tom sign when I met him was um, uh, Clear and Present Danger, which I'm not sure it's my favorite, but it's one of the top two or three favorites. And it was in the best condition of all of my books because they're all very well read. And I didn't want to go up to Baltimore and, and you know, give him this beat up dog eared thing. And I, and I actually told him that at the time. He's like, oh, books are, books are meant to be read. And he was absolutely right. But uh, I wanted him to sign my nicest copy. Yeah, absolutely. Now, who, who was your first... Um who's your first publishing or first writing mentor and how did that relationship come about? I didn't know anyone who'd been published and I didn't know anyone who knew anyone who'd been published. I, after I wrote my first book, I, the internet had been invented in in the 15 years it took me to write that book. And, And then I was like, Hey, this is like magic. I can learn how to get published. And then I read all this advice and it was sort of, I realized my book was too long and had too many characters and was just a big jumbled mess. And I wasn't really disheartened though, because I was proud of it. And, and I had an idea for something else I wanted to work on and I just dove into the next thing, but I didn't have mentors at that stage. I took one writing class or it was like a writing workshop at the, um, at the Maui writers conference that used to be around. With uh, with James Rollins, who I know has been okay. on your show before, yeah. and he was the he was the teacher, and he was amazing. It was a five day class, and I learned so much, and it was so much fun. And he was incredibly encouraging about my writing. I mean, he said it was. I mean, he took me to the side and said, "This is publishable right now." You know what what I gave him, and um, it that book did not get published, but. Um, I had an agent within a year and a book within a year and a half or something like that. And he gave me a, 
a, a ton of confidence and, and we're still friends. I mean, I, I see him a few times a year and, uh, and uh, I always sort of remind him about, you know, the one writing class out there. I said, I can give you all of the blame if people don't like me or pretty much all of the success if, if people do like me. But I, I've been sort of reading on the Internet that you're, you're supposed to go to these writers conferences and you meet agents and all this other stuff. And I, as I said, I had a ton of social anxiety. So there were literally writers conferences where I paid to meet agents. Um, you're not paying the agent. You sort of pay the conference and then you get to go talk to them. They call it like speed dating. And I would literally wouldn't leave the hotel room. It's like, oh, I did, I'm supposed to see three agents today, but I chickened out on all three. And, and so finally I got over that just enough to, to go in and see the one agent I really wanted um, because he represented one of my favorite authors. And um, he is my agent to this day. So, Yeah, you know, it is really fascinating the from the, the writing side of this that it, it is such an isolated and lonely and introverted profession or job. And to be successful and it requires so much extroversion that, you know, it's almost like you have to have a, a, a bipolar personality to be able to do both. Yeah, that's a great point. And it only, it only requires that extroversion a couple of times a year or once a year <laughs> or something like that. I'll be doing a uh, book. I've, I've multiple times I've been doing book signings and someone will say, uh, because I'm very active on social media and I have a lot of friends who are in the same genre and a lot of times people will say, I think it's really great how all you guys support each other and, uh, you know, you, you, you say nice things about each other and it doesn't seem like competition or whatever. And I, and I, I always say, I'm like, it's just because we're lonely. You know, it's just <laughs> it's, it's like you, you meet somebody. Um, I'm probably my best friend in the industry is, is Brad Taylor, who, who mm -hmm. writes fantastic military thrillers. And I remember the first time the two of us, just the two of us hung out in a bar drinking and we were talking about research trips we've been on or whatever. And I was just, I, I literally wanted to just like hug him and be like, dude, <laughs> dude, we're living the same life. It's incredible because really no one in my personal life or world is, is, is a writer. And um, I have a couple of family members who read my books, but most of my friends don't. And most of my sure, family, yeah. doesn't. it's just not their thing. And um, I mean, they're very proud of me and, and they sure. support me in a million ways, but um, it, it's neat to, to be around these other authors and to, um, you know, because it, because it is a lonely 99.9% .9 of the time, you're not in front of a hundred people at a book signing. Yeah. You know, and it's, you're looking for, uh, you know, like-minded loners in, exactly. uh, in this whole thing. And, you know, I, I saw this, this meme on uh, Facebook or social media recently about uh, writers that, you know, we have a great story to tell you. We just don't want to look you in the eyes while we do it. <laughs> That's a good point. And, and every time someone sort of seems to elevate me as to something bigger than I am, uh, you know, like because they associate me maybe too directly with my characters or the type of stuff I write about as if I'm a spy and I'm out assassinating people. And, and sometimes you sort of get that vibe from people as they're talking to you. You know, they're just like really entranced to be talked to to you. I always, uh, I'm a very self-effacing guy, but I always say, look, I'm, I'm the guy that sits with the laptop in his lap and a muffin in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other hand, trying to figure out what's cool. You know, it's like, yeah. don't make me out like, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that can kill you with a spoon or something like that. You know, it's just, I'm the writer. It's, that's my pretend characters that are, are the. Yeah. I think that, you know, uh, actors and, um, and writers both get that quite a lot. You hear, you know, actors being, you know, typecast or they expect people to, to see them as the characters they portray. And uh, Ian Rankin, and I was talking about that when I spoke with him about how uh, he, he drinks at the, at the same bar that his main character, John Rebus does. <laughs> people will show up. Uh, fans of his series will show up at the bar 
expecting to, you know, run into Rebus and they find right. him and then they right. want him to be Rebus and they're total, you know, they have nothing to do with each other. They're totally honest. Uh, I'd, I'd find another bar. <laughs> honest with you. No, I, I've had it. I've had it many, many times that people call me the name of my hero, uh, Court Gentry. Like they'll see me and they'll be like, Court. And I'm always like, I'm oh, Mark. It's um, uh, nice to meet you. And, and it's just sort of like, it's, it feels a little bit off-putting. I mean, you, you, you realize that it comes from a place of them like appreciating what you do, which is magnificent. But sometimes I'm just kind of like, hey, I've got an identity too. I write about other characters with other names. Are you going to call me Paulina or Zoya or, you know, <laughs> these other characters in my book? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you brought up uh, Brad Taylor. I didn't, um, hadn't run into his writing uh, at all until a couple months ago. Oh, wow. And when, uh, when he, yeah, I've, I, I've, I've been busy with my head buried in cop work for quite a while. So I, mm -hmm. I didn't have enough time to, to surface until kind of recently on this thing. But, mm -hmm. um, when, uh, when Brad and I were talking, uh, I guess last month, uh, something, the, the similarities between the espionage and police procedural subgenres came up and that was you know a big part of the motivation that I had him on and that I wanted to bring you on. Um, that to me, the espionage thrillers like yours and Brad's are have a lot in common with, with murder mysteries and police procedurals and that you need a specific crime or intent. You need a band of bad guys. You need a, a merry union of saviors that are willing to risk themselves for people they've never met. Um, so when you're putting your stories together, you typically start with the crime and the criminals and what you want them to try to get away with, or do you start your stories and plotting with the heroes and what you'd like to see them accomplish? Hmm. I think it's more the former than the latter. It's not, I, I don't really think about it that way, but, but I, I think it is more, um, you know, who's your adversary and what are their capabilities and, you know, what kind of a mess can you get your hero into? And, um, I think, uh, you know, it, it, even though they're thrillers and they're not crime or, or mysteries, the, the, what you, your bread and butter in any sort of like exciting fiction is these aha moments, mm -hmm. which may or may not involve a mystery that is being, you know, discovered, but, or something that is, is just where things are revealed in the story. You know, it, it, it harkens back to, you know, a mystery. Uh, to one degree or another. So, I mean, I, I read like Michael Connolly, who I think is yeah. just a magnificent author. And, um, you know, and I, I write a very different type of book from him, but, but I will see, and not intentionally trying to dissect books, I still read books for enjoyment, but uh, I, will, I will be like, okay, so he's holding that information from the reader, but the hero knows it, or vice versa, or something, yeah. until this aha moment. And that's something that, I, that mysteries have probably helped my thriller writing because I'm always thinking about the reader's experience and you know would it be one percent more exciting for the reader to not find this out at this point but then to figure this out later on or whatever and, and if that's the case or, or some point of view or, or something that I can alter to make the reader's experience a little more exciting so I think a lot of that came from reading mysteries. Uh, in uh, kind of a roundabout way I've, I've accidentally stumbled upon a uh, another new release that you have coming out in July and I'm as excited as I am about finishing mission critical. Uh, I'm really excited about this upcoming book, red metal. Are you, are you okay to talk about that? Absolutely. Sure. Can you, um, can you give readers and uh, listeners an, an, an intro to what this book is and what it's, what it's going to be about? It is a 
military thriller, a straight up military thriller about a conflict between Russia and NATO, which takes place in Europe at Christmas and in Africa. And I co-authored it with an active duty Marine Lieutenant Colonel that, who I met at the Pentagon, I think six years ago now when I was researching a Clancy book. And he helped me with, with, a, with one of the Tom Clancy novels that I worked on. And, um, and we became really good friends. And he's just an unbelievably fascinating guy. I can't wait to go on a book tour with him because I won't have to do anything. I mean, I literally, <laughs> I, I'll hold his yeah. coat, you know. Yeah. Uh, like he's, questions of the LTC. Yeah, exactly. He, he is that, he's that interesting a guy and, and very learned. But we, we basically just started talking back and forth about book ideas because he wanted to be a writer. And our ideas got more and more specific and more and more specific. And then I said, Hey man, uh, how about I go get us a contract and we write a book together. And I, at the time I told him it's going to be two years before I can start on it because I was committed to several other things. And it was two years, uh, two years later, he and I went to Poland and Germany and France and we went out to Nellis air force base and, uh, he went and got on the USS John Warner. He went on a submarine. And so we, we, wrote a 91 chapter outline. It's a big novel. If you've, if you've ever read Red Storm Rising, which was yes. a, a Tom Clancy book, uh, I'm not saying this is Red Storm Rising because Red Storm Rising is, is you know, perfect as it is. This is a new version of a NATO-Europe conflict. Um, and it's a big book. It's 217,000 words, 600 and something pages wow. uh, of, of small print. And, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it and it's not all square square jawed marines. There's there's like young female uh, militia members from Poland, and there's like elderly French spies, and you know there's there's a lot of different types of characters. It's it's a it is a military thriller, but it, it encompasses several theaters and several plot lines along the way. Yeah, you know, it's uh, there's something else that has come up recently. Is you know the the I was thinking when I I saw Red Metal that this was probably started two or three years ago, like. Uh, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of published works and that that was probably about the same time that, um, you know, uh, Brad Taylor was working on daughter of war initially and Brad Thor was working on spy master and all of these, um, all these headlines uh, that everybody's drawing from are really heading us toward another cold war and another major conflict with Russia. And I, I, Personally, I am, am pretty concerned that every one of these fictional works will eventually be some form of narrative nonfiction. <laughs> Look back at it in hindsight, and you know, it's uh, I don't, uh, you know, I'm concerned not. about where all this is headed. Yeah, interestingly, the last book I wrote with Tom before he passed away, we finished it in September of 2013, and he he died in October 1st of 2013. Uh, the last book we did was called Command Authority, and it was about Russia invading Ukraine and uh, Sevastopol and um, doing all these things. And, and that came out in December of 13. And in February of 2014, Russia invaded Ukraine and, and did a lot of very specific things that were, were in the story. And, and so people were like, are you worried that Putin read your book? You know, <laughs> and I, I was always, I'd always be like, do you realize what you just accused me of <laughs> starting a war? Um, but I would say, no, we, we read Putin's playbook because he had done the same thing in, in Georgia in 2008. And if you just look at how they did it and how they sort of annexed these areas and, and all that, um, it, we didn't know it was going to happen with Ukraine, but there had been saber rattling and it was an interesting story. And, um, and then it did happen. So, um, these things do follow, 
if, if you're writing close enough to to the truth, mm-hmm. these things do follow um, the truth sometimes, you know, like facts sometimes. I, I, I was ghostwriter of a book where one of the bad guys was Osama bin Laden and he, he, he got killed before the book came out. So it's like, no problem. We'll just switch it to Anwar Al-Awlaki, the uh, Arizona-based uh, Al-Qaeda guy yeah. from Arizona. Um, and I said, you know, no problem. He's still alive. We can just make it him. And after it had already gone to print, he got killed. So I'm like, oh, you know, that's what you get for <laughs> flying too close to the sun. <laughs> yes. So in, and on that note, I have heard, you know, rumor, urban legend, whatever, for, for years now that that the CIA interviewed Tom Clancy after 9-11 attacks. Do you know of any truth to that? I know of no truth to that. I've, I've heard that. Um, you know, I, I, I find that doubtful. I mean, the uh, Word of Honor was his book that involved a, an airplane crashing into the, to the Capitol. And, um, but at the same time, I live in Memphis, and it, not that many people know about it, but there's a book about it and all this other stuff. Uh, in the mid-'90s, uh, uh, a FedEx pilot, uh, wanted to kill himself, so he attacked his flight crew and tried to take over the plane to crash it into the hub at FedEx. So um, I remember after you know 2001, like politicians would be like, no one had ever thought about that any possibility like this could happen. I'm like, it was in a Clancy novel, and it happened in my hometown. Um, the 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 three other officers on the three other uh, crew on the on the cargo plane were able to beat him you know there's just an incredible fight and there was a crossbow yeah. involved and a, or, a, or wow. a spear gun involved and and a ball peen hammer and it was just this incredible knockdown drag out fight on a cargo plane over yeah, arkansas you couldn't make that up no yeah you absolutely couldn't make it up no one would believe it so out of uh, out of respect for your time errol gets uh, things started wrapped up here last few questions what would you most like readers to take away from your writing you know it, Entertainment, enjoyment. I, I, I definitely am not trying to, uh, you know, shove any political view down anybody's throat. Or um, I, I do like to, I, when I do my research uh, and I go to some place or I read or I talk to somebody or I read something and I'm really fascinated by it. Again, I'm always thinking of the reader's experience and I'm thinking of myself as a reader first and foremost. And I always think, well, that'll be cool. You know, I don't know if people know about this and I really, you know, want people to know about it. So there is, there's a big uh, aspect of like my desire for readers to like learn things. Uh, I just don't want it to anything to ever look like some sort of a manual. You know, I should be very careful about that. So mostly it's just entertainment and, and fun. Um, my hero is a righteous dude. Um, and, and that's important to me. You know, like he has a very strong values they don't, they don't always mesh with the people he's working with. Or, and, um, and I think that adds tension on the page and that's probably why I do it. But it, it's also super important to me that, you know, that, that right is right and wrong is wrong and that sort of thing. So that's, that's another part of my writing that I, that I hope gets out there. Do you have a favorite fictional detective or a crime show? Well, I, I mean, the Bosch probably, uh, <laughs> it, 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 that's such a cliche answer, but, but, um, I was reading Michael Connelly, you know, before, before he was a, well, he's probably a big deal then, but you know, yeah, his, the magnitude of, yeah, the magnitude of Connelly now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, when I met him, it was, I, it was a very awkward moment and I was just, I didn't know what to say. I just all tongue tied and all that sort of stuff. Um, I was that in, impressed by him as a writer. Uh, with that last answer of mine, I always save this one for last, Mark. God forbid it should come to pass, but 
if you were to wake up tomorrow and found yourself murdered, what fictional investigator or team would you want working the case? It can be anybody. I mean, it, it's your murder after all. Oh, wow. That's good. Uh, I, I have a funny answer. The first thing that came to mind, <laughs> the first came, thing that came to mind was Jessica Fletcher, uh, Angela Lansbury. <laughs> from, because for the simple reason that I, I have a feeling you asked this question other times and no one has ever said that. So I'm, no. I'm going to stick no. with that. Um, I, I used to, my parents used to watch that show and I used to always tease them. I'm like, you know, when, when Angela Lansbury catches the young guy being a murderer, why doesn't he just push her into the swimming pool and, and walk away, you know, or whatever, wherever it happens? There's yeah. never any violence in these things. But, um, yeah, no, that, that would be fantastic. If, if Jessica Fletcher could solve my murder in some sleepy little New Hampshire town, that would be terrific. Perfect. Well, I greatly appreciate you coming on the show, Mark, and I really hope that our schedules can align again to have you back on to talk more about Red Metal when that comes out in July. That would be great. For the benefit of the audience, you can check out Mark's website at markgreenybooks.com, and you can also find more information there about Red Metal and Mission Critical, the, the release that just came out. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.